Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, June 19th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Apple officially says no to hey... And people are pissed kind of just about the way they said no. A look at the internal divisions inside Apple over those rumored Apple glasses. Twitch is growing as a platform for live music. And of course, the weekend long read suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. This just broke as I was going in to record... And there aren't a lot of other details yet, but Apple is reportedly planning to close 11 retail stores across Florida, Arizona, North Carolina, and South Carolina amid COVID-19 spikes in those states. Newsflash, in case you needed to hear it, coronavirus ain't over yet, everybody. Apple officially rejected the appeal by the makers of the Hey app, saying that Hey in its current iteration is verboten in the App Store and noting that email apps generally must work without paid subscriptions. Apple suggests offering in-app subscriptions to reconfigure the app or to simply full-on reconfigure the app as an IMAP or POP client. Matthew Panzerino at TechCrunch spoke to Apple's Phil Schiller about the issue. Quote, The current experience of the Hey app as a user downloading it from the App Store is that it does nothing. It is an app that requires you to subscribe to the Hey service on the web before it becomes useful. You download the app and it doesn't work and that's not what we want on the store, says Schiller. This, he says, is why Apple requires in-app purchases to offer the same purchasing functionality as they would have elsewhere. To be clear... This is against the App Store rules for most apps. The exceptions here are apps that are viewed as readers, that only display external content of certain types, like music, books, and movies, and apps that only offer bulk pricing options that are paid for by institutions or corporations rather than the end user. Schiller is clear on our call that Hey does not fit these rules. Quote, We didn't extend these exceptions to all software, he notes about the reader-type apps, examples of which include Netflix. Email is not and has never been an exception included in this rule, end quote. Which, hearing him say that out loud, that sounds like Apple actually is being consistent here. But also, in the official rejection letter, sent to the Hey developers, Apple said this, quote, We understand that Basecamp has developed a number of apps and many subsequent versions for the App Store for many years, and that the App Store has distributed millions of these apps to iOS users. These apps do not offer in-app purchase, and consequently have not contributed any revenue to the App Store over the last eight years. We are happy to continue to support you in your app business and offer you the solutions to provide your services for free, so long as you follow and respect the same App Store review guidelines and terms that all developers must follow, end quote. Which, that is really rubbing some folks the wrong way. This is Mark Edwards, quote, A few days out from WWDC, and this is Apple's message to developers? 
It reads as, you have no value to us unless you're earning us tons of cash, end quote. This is Marco Arment. Whoever at Apple wrote this a few days before WWDC should never be allowed to communicate with developers again. Let's be clear. Apple, in addition to the $100 a year in developer fees and any search ads we buy, we add value to your highly profitable hardware far beyond the 30%, end quote. And this is John Syracuse. Wow, this is extremely flimsy. Who is Apple protecting with this stance? The poor iOS user who might download the free Hey app and be shocked to learn that it doesn't function without an account? Or maybe it's about that 30% cut of in-app purchases. Yeah, a real stumper, end quote. And yeah, WWDC begins on Monday, and suddenly I think Apple is probably absolutely thrilled that developers won't be there in person, because something tells me if they had been, we'd be seeing some sort of protest movement. I'm kind of not kidding. People are that pissed. Mark Gurman has an in-depth scoop of a story looking at the internal divisions at Apple over its plans for an AR VR headset, which may not be released until 2022. And if we do finally see those rumored AR glasses, they wouldn't be coming before 2023, according to German. He looks at the technology development group inside Apple, led by the under-the-radar Apple executive Mike Rockwell. Quote, Rockwell started building his team in late 2015, and what grew into a thousand-person strong group of engineers went to work developing two products aimed at upending the VR and AR segments. A device codenamed N301 would take the best of both VR and AR, the first in all-encompassing digital experience for gaming and consuming content, and the second a tool for overlaying information such as text messages and maps in front of a viewer. The other device, N421, would be a lightweight pair of glasses using AR only and would be more complex. N301 was initially designed to be an ultra-powerful system, with graphics and processing speeds previously unheard of for a wearable product. The processing capabilities were so advanced and produced so much heat that the technology couldn't be crammed into a sleek headset. Instead, Rockwell's team planned to sell a stationary hub, which in prototype form resembled a small Mac that would connect to the headset with a wireless signal. In Rockwell's early version, the headset would also be able to operate in a less powerful independent mode, end quote. Well, apparently Johnny Ive called BS on that whole hub system and told the team to go back to the drawing board and redevelop N301 around less powerful technology that could nonetheless be housed inside a portable device. Rockwell pushed back at this, saying his stationary hub was capable of performance that would knock your socks off, be miles better than anything on the market. Quoting German again, As for the impasse between Rockwell and Ive, Chief Executive Officer Tim Cook ultimately sided with the design chief. Although the headset now in development is less technologically ambitious than originally intended, it's pretty advanced. It's designed to feature ultra-high-resolution screens that will make it almost impossible for a user to differentiate the virtual world from the real one. A cinematic speaker system will make the experience even more realistic, people who have used the prototypes say. Prototypes of N301 look like a smaller Oculus Quest, Facebook's VR headset, with a mostly fabric body, but 
less plastic than the Quest. N301 would have its own app store with a focus on gaming and the ability to stream video content while also serving as a sort of super high-tech communications device for virtual meetings. Siri, Apple's voice assistant, will control both the headset and the eventual glasses, though the headset is also being tested with a physical remote, end quote. So lesson here is... Johnny Ive might officially be gone from Apple, but it seems to remain the case that nothing gets built at Apple that Johnny doesn't like. Google has removed 106 malicious Chrome extensions that collectively got 32 million downloads because the extensions allegedly collected browsing history and sensitive credentials, quoting Reuters. Most of the free extensions purported to warn users about questionable websites or convert files from one format to another. Instead, they siphoned off browsing history and data that provided credentials for access to internal business tools. Based on the number of downloads, it was the most far-reaching malicious Chrome store campaign to date, according to the researcher and chief scientist Gary Gollum. Google declined to discuss how the latest spyware compared with prior campaigns, the breadth of the damage, or why it did not detect and remove the bad extensions on its own, despite past promises to supervise offerings more closely. It is also unclear who was behind the effort to distribute the malware. The researchers said the developers supplied fake contact information when they submitted the extensions to Google, end quote. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features Features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee, so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Let's be real for a minute. Most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could. The problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night. But today's sponsor, Cuts, has finally changed that. Cuts t-shirts are such high-quality, wrinkle-free, and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down. Yeah, you heard that. Wrinkle-free. You never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again. If you see me in a t-shirt, it's likely one from Cuts. I'm also a huge fan of their AO5 pocket pants, the right sort of step up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at CutsClothing.com with 
promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. Cutsclothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. Also, I must mention this one because it was the lead story on the normal run-of-the-mill news on the radio that I was listening to this morning. Yes, I was listening to the radio and not a podcast for once. Facebook removed ads purchased by the Trump 2020 campaign that Facebook says featured Nazi iconography. Quoting NPR, which was how I was listening this morning, quote, Facebook on Thursday said it removed campaign posts and advertisements from the Trump campaign featuring an upside-down red triangle symbol once used by Nazis to identify political opponents. One of the political advertisements claimed that, quote, dangerous mobs of far-left groups are running through our streets and causing absolute mayhem, end quote. The ad went on to say protesters are destroying America's cities by rioting, quote, it's absolute madness, the ad said. Some prisoners in Nazi concentration camps were identified with colored inverted triangles sewn into uniforms to allow SS guards to identify the alleged grounds for being detained, according to the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum. The Trump campaign responded by drawing a lighthearted comparison to the red triangle symbol. This is an emoji, end quote. And as a follow-up to a story from yesterday, Wirecard's CEO Marcus Braun has resigned over that issue of the whole, you know, missing 1.9 billion euro in cash thing, quoting the Financial Times. With Wirecard's debt trading at 25 cents on the euro and its shares falling more than 70% in two days, investors were attempting to assess the solvency of a group that processes tens of billions of euros in credit and debit transactions each year. Wirecard said on Friday it was holding constructive discussions with lenders responsible for 2 billion euros worth of loans. If the company does not file audited accounts for 2019 on Friday, lenders have the right to terminate the loans. The resignation of Mr. Braun, the group's largest shareholder, happened, quote, in mutual consent with the supervisory board, end quote. Palantir has raised $500 million from Japanese insurance holding company Sampo. According to sources, Palantir's shares have been trading on private markets recently in the $10 to $14 billion valuation, quoting Reuters. The large investment from Sampo comes as Palantir has seen an uptick in demand for its products that help companies and governments manage the COVID-19 pandemic with data. The company declined to talk about Palantir's latest valuation or its plans to go public. Reuters reported last week that Palantir is aiming to file confidentially with U.S. regulators for an initial public offering in the coming weeks, citing sources, end quote. Yeah, that certainly feels like one of those last sort of bridge rounds that you raise right before you do file to go public. Worth noting, though, that the last time Palantir had a funding round in 2015, it was valued at $20 billion. So one wonders, was this a down round? So add Twitch to the list of unexpected winners of the COVID movement. Twitch is growing as a platform for live music, with music suddenly in the top 15 in terms of genres on Twitch, and 27 million hours spent watching live music in May, a 5x jump from January. Quoting Bloomberg, 
What YouTube is for music videos, Instagram is for photos, and TikTok is for memes, Twitch is becoming for live performance and conversations. Quote, music is growing like crazy right now, said Mike Olson, Twitch's head of music. We're seeing a lot of artists who, for all the reasons you're aware of, are in need of a place to connect with fans and a way to make up for revenue they'd normally get on the road. Olson joined Twitch in 2018 from Pandora, the online radio service. The following year, he helped to create a music team dedicated to increasing the number of artists who regularly use the site. Since then, Olson has tried to convince artists that they don't need to drastically change their routine in order to attract an audience on Twitch. They can just film themselves getting ready for a show or practicing at home or playing video games. At first, musicians were slow to come around. Many associated Twitch with the insular world of hardcore video game fans, which remains a major constituent on the site. In April, nine of the ten most popular genres on Twitch were specific video games, led by Valorant. Quote, before all this hit, 90% of artists didn't even know what Twitch was, said Karen Allen, a manager who wrote an advice book for musicians on how to use Twitch. Of the 10% who did, it was 50-50 on whether they knew there was a music category, end quote. Yesterday, I was listening to a podcast that had Patton Oswalt on it, and he was wondering if it might be years before he would be able to do stand-up comedy before actual live audiences again. And that made me think of the Comedy Cellar here in New York, and it made me realize, yeah, when will it feel safe enough for me to go back down into a venue like that again, or back to someplace like the Bell House here in Brooklyn? Probably a long time, and that genuinely made me sad. Time for the Weekend Long Reach suggestions. Let's start with some of those provocative pieces that I don't have a take on either way, but have been drawing some debate online. The first is from MIT Technology Review, and it asks, why venture capital doesn't seem to build the things we really need? I think you could maybe look at this piece as a companion or at least a response to Mark Andreessen's It's Time to Build essay. It has this provocative statement. In the 1950s and 60s, technology took us to space. In the 1980s and 90s, technology helped spread democracy. Now our national mission was to be able to never leave the house? Also, the piece has this data point, which I did not know. By the end of 2019, the venture capital industry had $121 billion in so-called dry powder, money in search of an entrepreneur or an idea to invest in. In other words, by that metric at least, venture capital isn't very successful at the moment. Second provocative piece, Craig Maud says, software isn't very successful at the moment either. He says our software feels less refined as our hardware seemingly achieves platonic ideals. Quote, in some ways, this is hyperbole. Objectively, we've never been able to do so much so easily with our smartphones and laptops and tablets. We've never pushed more data between more places more readily. But while the insidious worseness I mentioned falls only in part on the engineering side of things, it falls harder on the more subjective craft side of things, making it all the more worrisome, end quote. We mentioned Twitch earlier, as it becomes a growing platform for live music. Wired has a piece up suggesting that chess is also becoming a thing on Twitch. Yes, chess. Meet Hikaru Nakamura, 
the top-ranked blitz chess player in the world. Quote, in March, when he first started streaming in earnest, an average of 2,000 people tuned in live to watch Nakamura. As quarantine intensified, that number jumped to 18,000. Now his fan base has grown to 366,000 followers. And as his five-head chess plays and genius guy stunts have attracted the notice of the most popular streamers on Twitch, they've sought him out to learn the 1,500-year-old game, in turn bolstering its notoriety and Nakamura's among gamers. Chess is having a watershed moment on Twitch, a platform known for clutch Counter-Strike plays and Call of Duty pop-offs. As a category, its popularity has grown six times over since March, end quote. The Divination's newsletter had an interesting addition looking at how Apple is building an operating system for health. Quote, Ironically, Apple's strategy with health today is reminiscent of Microsoft's strategy with Windows in the 90s. Instead of making all the hardware, Apple wants to create the OS for health and own the critical choke points that all players must integrate with in order to get distribution. This feels like a distinctly Tim Cook contribution, a definite break from the past, end quote and suddenly an essay that can be read in an entirely different light after the events of this week. Next, Dean Kamen is back. The inventor of the Segway has a new project, Manufacturing Human Organs. Quote, Plenty of scientists are trying to grow organs, but what sets Kamen's group apart is that he's working a step ahead. He's making the tools and machinery to mass-produce those organs if and when the Food and Drug Administration approves them for patients. He wants to pump out hearts and kidneys much the same way factories produce smartphones in high-tech assembly lines. Kamen, now 69, says Army will start to get there, whether it's an organ or a piece of an organ, within a decade, end quote. Next Fast Company asks another provocative question. We spent a fortune on police body cams, so why haven't they fixed policing? And finally, when I speak to you again on Monday, we'll be speaking about WWDC. So in prep for that, the last long read link this week is a summation of what TechCrunch thinks we can expect from WWDC. Yes, indeed. Buckle in for Monday. As ever, I'll do my best to get the show out the door as soon as I can on that day. But the first day of WWDC is just one of those days where I can't actually start writing until all the news has actually happened. So I wouldn't expect the show before 5 p.m. Eastern at the earliest. By the way, no weekend bonus episode this weekend, but we will have one next weekend with a very special guest to help us digest everything that happened at WWDC. Talk to you on Monday.